Chapter Twenty of the Wife of the Secretary of State. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. The Wife of the Secretary of State by Ellen Middleton Tybout. Chapter Twenty. Where was David Lee? This was the question which agitated Mrs. Colson's boarding-house from garret to cellar and caused endless comment and conjecture among the lesser lights of the Department of State. The higher officials said little for publication, but frequently conferred among themselves, apparently to no purpose. The private secretary was missing. That fact was self-evident, but beyond it was a silence as impenetrable as the silence of the grave itself. "'It is my belief,' remarked Miss Jackson, with the air of one who expects to create a sensation, it's my belief, Mrs. Colson, that he committed suicide. He may have been crossed in love, you know. This theory, having been advanced every night at dinner since Lee's disappearance, failed to make the impression which might otherwise have been expected. Much more likely to owe money and be in hiding somewhere, said the old gentleman with the grey moustache gruffly. Oh, General, expostulated the ladies in staccato chorus. I feel for his mother, said Mrs. Colson, ignoring the fact that David was well known to have been an orphan for many years. Ah, it is we poor women who always suffer in such cases, murmured the White House baby, helping herself liberally to mint sauce. But, then, when do we not suffer? Well, said Miss Jackson thoughtfully, I must say I would like to know what has become of him. And in quite another part of the city— a girl repeated this remark as she stood before her mirror, adding the finishing touches to her evening toilette. Isabel Bird was, so her aunt affirmed, as cross as two sticks. Nothing suited her. It was stupid at home, and Washington was populated with intolerable bores, not the least of whom was her distinguished affianced, who was to dine with them to-night, and familia, and escort her to Mrs. Redmond's box at the theatre. Isabel fastened her necklace with a vindictive snap. She hated sleek black hair and silky moustaches. She hated immaculate shirt-fronts with little pearl studs. She hated box-parties. She hated everything. And most of all, she hated David Lee. A sneak, she said hotly to her reflection in the mirror. A dishonorable sneak. But I would like to know where he is. Down in the library, Senator Byrd made substantially the same remark to his prospective son-in-law as they waited for dinner to be announced, and the member of Congress acquiesced absently. "'The Secret Service,' affirmed the senator contemptuously, "'has made a fizzle of the case. I tell you, Rivers, it's a flat impossibility for a man to march off the face of the earth in this day and generation. The police force—' "'Can sometimes be squared,' interrupted Rivers quietly." What do you mean? Merely that no official organization is without its vulnerable corner. Perfect-looking apples are sometimes rotten at the core, you know. To what apple are you alluding? inquired Senator Byrd dryly. The younger man laughed and passed his hand caressingly over his moustache. Confidentially speaking, he said slowly, the President— Now the Honorable Charles Rivers was well known to be in close touch with the head of the nation— Indeed, it was rumored that in case of vacancy occurring in the cabinet, his appointment thereto was a foregone conclusion. It was also whispered that he was far from adverse to accepting such an honor, 
regarding it as another step towards the presidential chair, for Mr. Rivers was ambitious, and in America all things are possible, provided the right strings are pulled to bring them about. Senator Byrd knew this. He also knew the president. "'I understand what you mean,' he said thoughtfully. "'At least I think so, though he has never put it into words so far as I am aware. I hope he never may.' "'And I,' said Rivers composedly, "'hope to see the matter shifted to the bottom "'and justice administered unflinchingly. "'I have studied the subject from the disappearance of the first papers "'and have reluctantly arrived at my conclusion. "'I agree with the President.' "'You are wrong,' said Senator Byrd positively. "'Wrong. I would stake my honor on it.' "'I believe,' continued Rivers slowly, "'Lee abstracted the papers with the full knowledge of the Secretary,' and that they are in collusion. I believe the secretary, and he only, knows where to find David Lee. But the motive? Ah, that, I grant you, is a mystery yet to be unraveled. I am inclined to look for the woman in the case. Cherchez la femme, you know. Hush, interrupted the senator hastily, Isabel. But it was too late. It was, indeed, Isabel standing in the doorway, her red-gold hair and white frock brought out most effectively by the dark background. Mr. Rivers had never thought his fiancée half so charming as when she advanced tempestuously and faced him with blazing cheeks and flashing eyes. "'I heard you,' she said, ignoring his outstretched hand. "'I heard you.' Both men had risen upon her entrance and remained speechless. Senator Burr glanced nervously about and breathed a sigh of apprehension. His daughter was plainly a prey to the demon of temper, which he had hoped was relegated to her stormy childhood, and before which he had always stood powerless. Had she been a boy, he sometimes reflected, he would have known how to deal with her. But a girl was very different. So the senator subjected the imaginary boy to severe discipline, while the flesh-and-bone girl grew apace. Spoiled to death, her aunt lamented, but mighty lovable, her father thought. Just now, however, he wished the boy existed as he advanced, and laid a hesitating hand upon her arm. Dinner is late, he remarked tentatively, with the laudable desire of diverting her attention. But Isabel shook off the hand impatiently, and addressed herself to her lover. How dare you say such things, she demanded, with an emphatic stamp of her white-shod foot. How dare you! Isabel, interrupted her father anxiously. "'My dear child—' "'It isn't so,' continued the girl quickly. "'Why, Mr. Redmond is the best man in the whole world. How dare you criticize him? How dare you even think such things, much less say them? I know it isn't so.' "'How do you know?' inquired Rivers coolly. "'In fact, how do you know anything about it?' "'I know it isn't so,' she said simply, "'because I know the secretary.' The member of Congress laughed sarcastically. Oh, he said, is that it? I thought perhaps Lee might have taken you into his confidence. You used to be uncommonly chummy, you know, and, well, you seem to take a most extraordinary interest in the matter. The color left Isabel's cheeks suddenly, and her attitude became tense and rigid. The watchful senator knew the signs of the times, and thought regretfully of the explosion to follow. "'Dinner is served,' said the butler, appearing opportunely. With a polite bow, 
and an air of tolerant benignancy, Mr. Rivers smiled at his betrothed and offered his arm. "'Let us bury the hatchet,' he said suavely, "'and go to dinner.' But Isabel was already halfway across the room. "'I hate you!' she exclaimed, pausing suddenly. "'There! I'm glad I've said it! I hate you!' "'Upon my word!' he exclaimed as the library door slammed emphatically. "'She doesn't mean it, Rivers,' said the senator anxiously. "'I assure you she doesn't know what she's saying.' The door opened again, and a white hand and arm appeared in the aperture. "'Take it back,' said a muffled voice. "'I never did want it very much.' And a small object fell on the rug beside the member of Congress as the door closed again, and swiftly flying feet could be heard ascending the stairs." The Honorable Charles Rivers stooped and picked up the ring. "'Tomorrow,' he remarked, watching the diamond flash, "'I will put this on again. We will have a few tears and an affecting reconciliation. Don't apologize, Senator. I like a girl of spirit, and I understand women.' He put the ring in his pocket and walked thoughtfully to the window and back. "'All the same,' he continued gravely, "'I have got to prove to her that I am right.' and you have got to make her be quiet. It's a pity she overheard. Can you keep her from talking to anybody? Mind you, I mean anybody, whatever. Yes, said the harassed senator. Yes, certainly. Let us go to dinner, Rivers. I think Isabel will not appear. Perhaps you will kindly make her excuses to Mrs. Redmond at the theater and say she is indisposed. Mr. Rivers cheerfully agreed to deliver the message, and proceeded to enjoy his dinner with unalloyed appetite while Isabel lay face down upon her bed, her pretty gown crushed and forgotten, and her slight form shaken with a tempest of angry sobs. Senator Byrd, after the departure of his guest, sat before his library fire and consumed many meditative cigars. He felt relieved to have no imperative engagement demanding his presence, and disinclined for any definite occupation. So the senator smoked on, pondering over many things as the fragrant Havanas slowly disappeared, and the moments passed. He thought of the guest from whom he had just parted. A bright fellow, by Jove, with a keen intellect. Undoubtedly the coming man. Isabel is uncommonly fortunate. He thought long and anxiously about the complications in the State Department and their problematical outcome. Of the secretary, gentle, courteous, honorable, and of sound judgment, a man so popular in his party that he had had more than once been suggested as a successor to the President, a man with few enemies and many friends, and apparently incapable of a dishonorable thought, of David Lee, and the necessarily intimate and confidential relations of a private secretary to his chief. He thought of Isabel, and of her mother, dead since her birth. Something had given way in the senator's heart the day he followed his young wife to her grave, and the vacuum had never been quite filled. "'It's a little girl, dearest,' she had whispered. "'Our little girl. "'And I want so awfully to live for her and for you.' "'The senator let his cigar go out, "'holding it listlessly in his hand "'as he lived again in the past. "'You will make her happy, won't you?' "'The faint voice had continued. "'I want her to be very happy, "'and when she grows up she must marry the man she loves, "'as I did, dear, as I did.' Well, he had tried to make her happy, Esther's child, with Esther's eyes and voice. If her mother had lived... The log smoldered and fell apart, 
and Senator Byrd roused himself abruptly, put out the lights, and went upstairs. As he passed his daughter's door, he paused and knocked softly. "'Come in,' called Isabel. "'I've been waiting for a long time.' And he smiled a little as he turned on the light and closed the door. Isabel had gone to bed, and now sat upright among the pillows, her bright hair streaming down her back, and her arms stretched out towards her father. "'I made an exhibition of myself,' she exclaimed, pulling his cheek down to hers. "'Didn't I, Daddy? As usual. And you were sorry.' "'Well,' agreed the senator, "'I think you did, little girl. I was sorry.' "'I'm not,' she said with a defiant toss of her head. "'He deserved it, and I hope it made him uncomfortable.' The senator thought of Mr. Rivers' placid enjoyment of his dinner and made no reply. Isabel rested her head on his shoulder and sighed contentedly. "'I'm glad you came in,' she said slowly. "'Somehow, I feel awfully lonely tonight.' The senator had felt lonely also, down by the library fire, so he simply smoothed her hair caressingly and said nothing. "'He's been gone almost a week,' said the girl suddenly. What do you suppose has become of him? I don't know, dear. The senator made no pretense at not understanding to whom she referred. But what do you think? I think, he said gravely, it looks very black for Lee, Isabel. But all the same, she said eagerly, all the same, father, you don't believe what Mr. Rivers said, do you? Senator Byrd thoughtfully twisted a lock of the shining hair about his finger. No, dear he said at last. I don't believe it. Oh, father, she exclaimed with an emphatic squeeze, you're such a sensible man. The senator laughed and asked some questions as to her engagements for the next few days. She was going to be with Mrs. Redmond at the diplomatic breakfast on New Year's Day, she said. After that she did not know. She would like to go away. Washington was so tiresome. The senator suggested a trip abroad when Congress adjourned. Unless, he remarked with some hesitation, you will be thinking of getting married about that time. Isabel sat upright and wrinkled her white forehead portentously. I might as well tell you, father, she said solemnly, I have decided never to marry. You don't mind supporting me, do you? The senator did not mind at all. He thought, however, she might sometime change her views on this point, but she shook her head positively. I hate men, she said petulantly. I hate them all, except you, and I won't marry anybody. You shall marry the man you love, said her father gently. But, Isabel, I know you could only love an honorable man. Isn't that true? Isabel sank back among her pillows and turned her face to the wall. All the nice men are dishonorable, she sobbed, and all the honorable men are nasty. I shall never, never marry. Senator Byrd felt strangely incompetent as he closed his daughter's door some time later and sought his own room. She needs her mother, he thought regretfully. Esther would have known just what to do, while I should only bungle. If she had only been a boy, and the senator slowly unfastened his collar. End of chapter 20